Thank you so much, Mercy Church. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to open the Bible with you. Uh, today, we are starting a new sermon series um, um, called The Doctrine. And what we're going to do is we're going to study what we believe and what difference it makes in our everyday lives. What we believe and the difference it makes in our everyday life. Right behind me, you'll see 10 topics over the next 10 Sundays that we will take, study. Today we're starting with three in one God, but those are some incredible, incredible subjects. And the goal, of course, is uh, for us to be rooted firmly in truth and growing together. My job is to say nothing new. Okay, next 10 weeks, me and Jason standing up here, our job is to say nothing new, only what scripture teaches and the church over 2,000 years echoes. My job is to preach with passion, clarity, conviction in the power of the spirit, I pray, but my job is not to say anything new. By the way, the way you know if you're in the wrong church or if in the wrong conference or listening to the wrong guy on YouTube is if they have something new to share. So um, today we're going to start off with the subject of the three in one God. God as a triune God. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for all of my brothers and sisters here. God, we're going to talk today, try to explain the unexplainable. Understand that which surpasses understanding. Would you, by your spirit, warm our hearts. Help us grasp these truths as they are revealed. And God, should I say something that is misrepresenting you, would you speedy up correction my way and shield the church from error? God, I pray this for the dual purpose of your glory and our edification. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You know, I was a little bit defensive this week as I was preparing a subject in the Trinity. I was, kept hearing the voices of like, why? Why are we talking about the Trinity? Why the triune God? And ever happened to you where you're like defensive and then you get enlightened and you're like, wait. We are speaking about a God who is. It's not up to us whether we like it or not. And I'll tell you, it is a glorious truth. But God reveals himself on the pages of scripture as a triune God, a God who is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Christians are a little shy about this topic. We're not sure what to say. We'll preach about salvation by grace. We'll preach about the power of God's word. And then at some point, we'll try to bring in the triune God. You know, here, here he is, the dark side of God. Oh, that is so wrong. I want to show you today just how edifying, comforting, glorious, and everything we know rests on a triune God. You know, our hearts cannot love the one our minds do not know. And I know something about you. You love your God. You think about your God. You seek to know him more. 
but your heart cannot worship the one your mind does not know. So it is so important that today we stop and we zoom in on this subject. Triune God is what distinguishes the Christian God from all other gods. Yes, the gospel of grace distinguishes Christianity from all other religions and the triune God distinguishes God from all other gods. When you pray, you do not pray to a generic God, a philosophical God, an entity, a being somewhere out there. You pray to this triune God. And you know what? This reality of God yanks us out of our small worlds and gets us to realize the reality beyond this reality. You ever think about your life how, and I think about my life, with our world is so small. I love aviation. I love airplanes, everything to do with airplanes. And my favorite seat is to sit at the window seat. I make my kids sit on the aisle. I always take the window seat. And I remember I got this window seat. I was so, so excited. And it was, the lid was closed and I opened the the lid, whatever it's called. I should know I'm into aviation. Uh, The blinds (laughs) of the airplane, I open it and right there is an engine. An engine is right blocking my view. And I just had this sliver, this crescent view of the world. And I tend to think that's how, that's how I live. See, I only see my problems. I only see my issues. I only see my goals. And frankly, to be honest, I only see my week ahead. My world is so small. And nothing like the Trinity yanks us out of a small world that I live in. And it gives me an appreciation and a grasp of the reality beyond this reality that God is a triune God. And today, we're going to do this. Let me just state one thing. You know, whenever you start talking about something, you need to develop the language for it. I think a lot of Christians are afraid to talk about the triune God because we don't have the language for it. In every profession, in every industry, when you enter, there are words that have technical meaning. Those words can mean something else in a different context, but in that context, there's technical words. And so today my goal is also to help us have the language to talk about the Trinity. Before it just started, I was walking around like, hey, what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? I was getting little polls. And I realized it's, it's a hard subject. To, where do you even start? So I'm going to give you four truths. If you get these four truths, you got it. You're, you're on the right track. You abandon one of these truths, you miss out on the God of this word. And you miss on the God you love. Here are the four truths. The first thing is that a triune God is God is one being. Now that word in yellow is a technical word, being. We'll get into that. Number two, God exists in three distinct persons. That word person, it has a very, very special designated meaning in Trinitarian understanding, persons. Number three, each person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each person is fully Totally, completely, 100%. I don't know what else to say. God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. The Son is God. Now you might say, Eugene, that, that just, that a contradict? Nope. So what scripture reveals, we'll get into that. 
That's what we affirm. We, we, we do not know how to explain it, put it together. These are truths we hold in tension. Not even in tension, just outside of our understanding. And number four, the distinction of persons is in relations. And we'll get into that, what that means. The way the Father is distinct from the Son, the, who is distinct from the Spirit, the distinction lies in a special word called relations. And I am thrilled to talk to you about all of this. Let's begin with the first one. Christian faith affirms and holds that God is one being. We do not worship three gods. God has one nature, one essence. In Isaiah, we read these words. There is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. God in his nature is one. All throughout Old Testament and in the New Testament, we read about a God who is one. Israel had a prayer called Shema. And it was, hear or Israel, the Lord your God, or the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Christianity is a monotheistic religion in that sense. So what does nature mean? It refers to God being God, like his nature. The way your humanity refers to you being human and whatever that means. God's nature is he is divine and he has attributes, uh, attributes can be unshareable and shareable. The unshared attributes of God is that he is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He is immutable, which means he does not change. He is eternal. You know, I ever have a child ask you, who made God? I sometimes wonder that. And then you go back to this reality that he just was, is, and will be forever. He's eternal. He is also self-sufficient. He does not need somebody to power him, like food or water. He, he's just God in eternity, all-knowing, all-present, unchangeable, self-sufficient, eternal. These attributes of God, we do not share with God. None of us here are powerful or all-powerful, all-knowing, and yet there's also shareable attributes. Attributes that God is love, and we could share in love. We could be loving. We experience love. Truthfulness. God never will ever lie. And anytime we speak truth and our yes is yes and our no is no, we are most like God, imitating him. God is wise and just and God is joyful. And all of these attributes we get to share in. So when we speak of God, who is God? We speak of those two categories, things that we do not share and things we do share, characteristics of God, his nature. And by the way, let me just say something about anxiety in my life that I have learned. I am often most prone to be anxious when I forget that I am not God. 
I am often anxious when I don't know something that I want to know and I can't know. And then it's like, yeah, Eugene, you don't know everything because you're not God. I'm often anxious because I'm not getting my life in order or getting everything done like I want to and get everything done on my to-do list. Anybody get everything done on your to-do list and you don't have the time for it and you realize, yes, 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 yes. You're not omnipresent. You can't be everywhere and everything for everybody. And I want to just let you know that in those terms, we're not supposed to know everything. We're not supposed to be everything. We're not supposed to be everywhere. And just trust in God who is knowing, who does have power, who is everywhere. So, God is one in nature. God is one in his essence, in his being. Number two, we realize also that God is distinct in his three persons. One being, three persons. What's the Trinity? One being, three persons. Here's what scripture tells us. There's these three names that come up often. God, the Father, just Matthew 6, 9. Our Father, Jesus teaches us to pray, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you know that the word or the title Father is all over the Bible? But in the Old Testament, we see it 15 times, 1-5. Jesus uses the word Father 165 times. It's just really cool. Jesus come to show us God who is our Father. But we see a God who is our Father. We see the Son being a, a God. In John 3, 16, everybody knows this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The son comes from God, is sent from heaven. And we also see the Holy Spirit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And now number three. Each person is fully God. Each person is fully God. This means that we pray to the Father, we worship the Father. We pray to the Son, we worship the Son. We pray to the Holy Spirit and we worship the Holy Spirit. God is three in one Jesus says that the Son, I am the Word, right? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And that Word we know is the second person of the Trinity. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit. And the next sentence we read, why did you lie to, not the Holy Spirit, to God, because the Holy Spirit is God. But the best example of how each person of the Trinity is God is from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So Jesus is about to go to the Father. He commissions us. This is where our slogan, to see people saved, save people growing, comes from. And Jesus says this, Jesus came and said to them, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But notice what Jesus says. Oh, this is so important. Jesus equates, puts on display, total equality between the three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we have three persons. But the most interesting thing that commentators and theologians have noticed is you have three persons, but Jesus says baptizing them in the name. Singular. Not plural. This is, the Bible is so amazing in the way. It just gives us to us a coherent picture of God. A God who is one name, one nature, one being existing in three persons and each person is fully, fully God. How incredible is that? Now you might ask, do we know of this Trinity in the Old Testament? The Old Testament probably does not say like, here's the Trinity, but upon this reading the New Testament and revelation of God is full blown, like this is who God is, we get to go back into the Old Testament and we pick up on the hints. You ever read a good novel? I have never read a good novel. But I hear, or a good movie, a good movie works too. You watch a good movie and, uh, and you, you just sort of fly through, you're watching it, all this action, and then at the end, um, it resolves, you know, whatever solution you know how it ends and then you go back and watch it again and you start picking up on what all the hints all the foreshadowing all the clues you're like oh my goodness i missed that why because you have you're reading or watching the movie from backwards the bible is organic that way everything in old testament is in seed form comes into fruition in the new testament but the new testament is used to also go back and interpret the old testament let me show you how cool the Trinity is cool. What a bad word is in the Old Testament. Take, for example, creation. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 4. And I want to ask you this. Do you notice the presence of three persons? In creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. We have God here creating. He's the Father here. Oftentimes God in a generic will identify as the Father we have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, enveloping, overshadowing. The way the Holy Spirit will envelop and overshadow Mary's womb, and in that womb would be the Son of God born to, with, united to man. The Holy Spirit is shadowing, enveloping the world, and God speaks. Now, I used to think God is just like yelling, like, let there be light. And like, what we find in the New Testament is that Jesus identifies 
He reveals himself to be the word. So now, put it together. The Father is speaking, meaning the agency of Christ is creating in the power of the Spirit the world into existence. That is a triune God. Without this, you have no creation. Let me give you another one. In the Old Testament, if you read, you will discover this interesting figure, figure called the angel of the Lord. He appears to Moses. He appears many, many times. Now, what's interesting about this angel is he comes from God and he speaks like God. <laughs> the angel added to, to Abraham, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. How can the angel do that? Let me read you Genesis 22, verses 12. The angel says, Do not lay your hand on the boy. He, the angel of the Lord, said, Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, the only son. Okay, if we're reading this, we're like, what? Who's this angel? Why is he speaking like he's God? And theologians, Christians, with a triune understanding of God, went back and said, that, that's Jesus. Most likely that's Christophany. That's Christ appearing in the Old Testament. He's from the Lord, and he is the Lord. One more. In Zechariah 12, 8, on that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the free, feeblest among them will be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And one more example for you. So we have creation, we have the angel of the Lord, and now we have plurals where God speaks in plurals. In Genesis 1, God says, let us Make mankind in our image, in our likeness. All right, what's this us? <laughs> Who speaks like that? Genesis eleven seven. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and, whom, and who will go for us? Now, some people say that's just God speaking with angels. But we're not made in the image of angels. And angels cannot create. Some say this plural language is speaking of God's royalty. You know how you sometimes talk, let us go to Starbucks. I'm just kidding. Nobody speaks like that for us. But in the ancient times, kings used to speak like that. Like, let us, let us. And of course, maybe or probably this is the triune God creating mankind in his image. How glorious. How beautiful is this. So remember those three points that we're at. God is one being, three persons. Use that language, one being, three persons. And each person is fully God. Let me take time right now and talk to you a little bit about illustrations before I go to point number four. Because oftentimes we want an analogy. Can you just, let's put this together with an analogy. I love analogies. I live for analogies. But with triune God, I will not share a single analogy. In fact, 
analogies and illustrations do not reveal to us the triune God and what God is like. Analogies and illustrations reveal to us who God is not. They tell us the wrong view of God. Let's begin with my favorite analogy, the egg. I love the egg. <laughs> Anybody heard the egg? We say God, a triune God, is like an egg. You know, it has three parts. It has the shell, the egg white, and the yolk. And God is like this egg. He's one egg. <laughs> it has three parts, the crust, whatever, the, whatever, I forgot the language. I have real potential to confuse myself up here. It's uncanny. It has these three parts. Let me tell you why God is not egg-like. Because the yolk, the egg white, and what's the third one? The shell. Is never on them, in themselves God or the egg. We do not worship a .33 Holy Spirit. We do not worship a .33 the Son. We do not worship a .34 the Father. And when you combine them with their parts, you get finally God. God is three and one. And in each person of the Trinity, he's fully, totally God. And he's not extra God, X2 God. He's just God. And in the Holy Spirit is God. The full nature of God dwells. And in the Son, the full nature of God dwells. God is not like the egg. Second illustration that we love sometimes is the states of matter where you have the water becoming a solid, then becoming a liquid, then becoming a gases. And some have said, okay, that's it, that's it, that's the one. That's the analogy for how God is a triune God. You see, you have H2O on a molecular level, and that does not change, but the phases of matter change from a solid to a liquid to a gas. Actually, this best summarizes a heresy, the wrong view of the Trinity, that says that God is one, but he manifests himself in different roles. In the Old Testament, he's the father. In the New Testament, he's the son. And now in the era of the church, he's the Holy Spirit. Notice how with the three phases of matter, you cannot have a solid and a liquid at the same time. They have to transition from one to another. Today, if you are wondering what religion teaches this, it is oneness Pentecostalism. They teach that God comes in three different shapes and manifests himself. Nope, God is three persons and each person is God and they're always in existence. God is also not three gods. This is what Mormonism will teach. Mormonism is a religion that teaches that there are more than one God. In fact, they believe that as man is, God once was and became God. And as God is today, one day you or man can be. The Mormon teaching believes Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father, three different gods. We do not believe that's what scripture says. In fact, Mormonism in its teaching flies directly against what the word teaches and cannot be seen as a biblical faith. Last, 
we can see God as having subordinates. Here's the father, the boss. And here's the son, his assistant, lesser God. And here's the Holy Spirit, his force. This is what Jehovah witnesses teach. That God, the father, existed for eternity, but at one point created the son. He was not eternal. And then at one point, he sends the son as a lesser being. And the Holy Spirit is a force, can be a friend or something like that, but it's not God. So, the best way we go forward is that we hold four things in view. But let me go to number four. God is one being, three persons. Each person is fully God. Um, I want to talk to you, lastly, about something so, so important. This is more like a jawbreaker. You kind of have to work around. It's not chocolate candy. You don't just, it took me forever to figure this out, understand it, study this. But I'm going to share it with you in the hopes that maybe it will be a seed in your heart and bless you for many, many years to come. The distinction of the persons is in relations. That word relations. Right away we think, okay, that's relationship. That's relationship. What it means is how is God, who is three in one, distinguished? What distinguishes the Father from the Son from the Holy Spirit? And we have two ways to go about answering that question. The first is in redemption. Who does God reveal himself to be in salvation? As three persons, we see their roles, their relations. The Father, what does he do? Sends. The Son, in obedience to the Father, accomplishes the work the Father has planned. And three, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit who applies. We have the gospel, the God of the gospel is a triune God. You know, we often think that Jesus is the one who loves us. Jesus is the one who goes to the cross to die for us. And here's the father who's mean, who's, who's, who's a bad guy, who, who, who Jesus pleases, and that's the way forgiveness works. No. Our whole redemption is the whole God fully and totally committed. And the father plans it. The father's idea is to send, send the son. And the son comes and accomplishes the plan. And the Holy Spirit applies what Jesus has done. Without the Holy Spirit, we are like toast. We have nothing. The Bible says that the spirit is the spirit of adoption. You know how I stand here, or me and Jason talk about how we are adopted into the family? That doesn't just happen automatically or naturally. It's through the Holy Spirit. He's applying something Jesus has won. We are united with Christ in his death. This is why sin has no hold on us. And one day we will rise from the dead to a glorious body. But it doesn't just happen magically. The Spirit applies us to Christ, unites us to Christ. So the Father sends, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. And that's in history. That's what we open the Bible and we find. But not just that. These three movements of a triune God reflect who God is as three persons, internally, eternally. You see, the Father 
begets. The Son is begotten. And the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Why this, is this important? What does that mean? Well, it does not mean that there is inferiority within a triune God. It does mean that there is order. We have order without rank. Order without inferiority. It doesn't mean that the son being begotten, because like in our day-to-day life, when we think of something that gets begotten or I beget something, it means it has a starting point. The son is begotten. It's just who he is for eternity. He proceeds, he, he sent of the father. And the spirit proceeds from the father and the son in eternity. If we don't have creation, if we don't have redemption, If you don't have me and you, and God never created us, God internally and eternally is a triune God distinguished in his persons by the relations. Now, some of you might have to go back on YouTube and watch that again. I'm flying here. It's difficult to understand, but it's something that I just pray is planted into you and you work around. What this does is it helps us understand that the Trinity is not like something that comes into being for, 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 for the time of creation and disappears. The Father sends, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. We pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. We are reconciled to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. Those movements. So those four points are everything. But I want to end today my message on the Trinity, to give you a glimpse into the life of a triune God. What is God doing as three persons? And why is that important? And I'm ready to show you the mind-boggling realities. I want to show you a window into the life of a triune God with the baptism of Jesus. You know, baptism of Jesus... It's a glorious picture. In Luke chapter 3, and we could be wrapping up. In Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, we read, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Picture the scene. You have the father in heaven, Jesus in the water. And the heavens open. And the father lavishes, oh my goodness, lavishes his love on the son through the bond of the spirit. He sends the Spirit as the bond of their love onto Christ. Jesus from this day on forward would walk in the presence of Father's love and in the power of the Spirit. But here is the main thing I want you to take away. This is not the first time this is happening. This is simply reflecting an eternal reality. This is who the triune God is. A father who lavishes and bestows love to his son 
in the bond of the Spirit for eternity, always. If you think about how the triune God is presented in the Bible, there is just nothing like it. There's so much love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You see that Jesus prays, God, the Father, to the Father in John, in his high priestly prayer, glorify me as I have glorified you. We see that Jesus witnesses to the Spirit and says, he's going to come and he's a helper and he's awesome and he's going to witness about me. And in the triune God, we see God glorying, witnessing, testifying, loving, giving, exalting one another in a total state of happiness. Let me repeat that. In a triune God, in the three persons of the Trinity, you have love, love, and love shared between the three in glorying with one another, in loving in one another. And let me tell you why this is huge. Number one, it means that God is not needy. He does not create because he got lonely. He does not create because he needs our worship and love. He, in the three persons of the Trinity, is eternally eternally happy that is a worthy God let me tell you another reason why this is so important is because think about what our worship is we often think or I think worship is me up here sending a prayer up there I usually that's how I explain it that's not what worship is worship is not me raising my hands worship is not me singing my songs worship is me stepping into the flow, into the stream of love that God has been sharing with one another for eternity. Maybe the lights will come on. (laughs) That was like a Genesis moment, huh? Do you see this? Do you see how real worship is? It's what the Father does to the Son, and the Son glories in the Spirit. And there's a loving, loving communion. And worship is the realest thing we can do, for we are stepping and participating in the triune God. All of our worship is initiated by the triune God. All of our worship ends in the triune God. All of our worship is sanctified and perfected by this triune God. I used to, well, a long time ago, used to get flowers for Abina. And when I would go to QFC, and I would pick a bouquet of flowers, and they would be, you know, like hideous, all dangly, all raggedy. And you take it to that lady who's always working there, and, you, and she makes it beautiful. She undoes the wrapper, she cuts away the leaves, and she, I think that's it. You know, when you and I stand here, can you imagine how feeble our worship is? How weak our worship is? how tangled up in our selfish ambition of worship is. But when we declare through Christ in the power of the Spirit, our worship, we are stepping into the triune God's life. Worship is the life of the triune God. Number two, think about our comfort. Think about who God is. 
John says, God is love. You do not have a God who is love if God is in eternity a monopersonal God. When you hang out by yourself, there's no love. And in Islam and in other religions, you have God creating somebody or creation. And then only because love always requires an object. You cannot be loving or love someone without having someone. So how is God love? The whole understanding that God is love can only be explained in a God who is a triune God who loves in himself one another. This is important because our world at least the West Coast, is allergic to power. We, we, we really are suspicious of institutions, bosses, abusive churches, and on and on, and rightly so. But notice this. In the Christian triune God, you have a God who creates in power, which is in service of his love. Power comes after love. Not, not the other way around. And in the triune God, we know how much God loves us. Do you know how much God loves us? John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. Oh, and these are the words. And love them even as you loved me. Can you imagine the God of the Gospels, a triune God? The eternal love the Father has for the Son in the Gospel is now directed at us. It only makes sense if you have a triune God. So this has every implication for our worship. It has everything, a lot of implication for our comfort and last. This explains us. You see, the triunity of God explains us. It explains what's so often wrong with us. Have you noticed how in today's day and age, we have loneliness skyrocketing? And with loneliness, you have all the mental health challenges to come. And the solution is always we need, I mean, there's countries in the Western world that have created or have declared an emergency crisis for what that is? The word belonging. We are relational. God exists in a three-in-one interpersonal relationship. And when he creates us in his image, we are relational. We are meant for and need community. We cannot do life alone. We like to say that our Christian faith is personal. It is not individual. We are relational. And I love our church for this. You know that you are more likely to laugh with someone else. Some of the best things come in community. I read that laughed, you laugh 30 times likelier or more in a relationship. You don't really walk around and just start laughing out of nowhere that does happen we have concerns for you usually you're walking with somebody and you start laughing think about the best things i was thinking even about memes you guys ever see memes that are funny all of you do and what do you do with those memes you send them 
laughter belongs in a relationship. It explains us. explains the direction of our lives ought to go. I was even thinking about, think about when you are most likely to forget about time. Ever think about that? Now, it could happen in a state of flow when you're like working on something you love. You know when you are very, very likely to just forget that time exists? When I'm preaching, I don't know when time exists. But also, do you know? In a conversation with others. Isn't it true at a bonfire or somewhere? You look at the clock and you're like, we've been talking for five hours. I gotta go. And then you start to do farewell and you go for another two hours. Why? The best things happen in relationships. It reveals a relationship God, a God who is community in himself. Last but not least, we are what we worship. We become what we worship. And when we have in our sights a God we do not fully understand, can never understand, a triune God, we are becoming more like him. And think about what that means. Christian life is a life of becoming more and more selfless, more and more generous, more and more giving, more and more loving, more and more self-emptying, more and more other esteeming, more and more and more and more. Because we're being conformed to the image of his son. Let me pray for us. Oh God, we're so, so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us understand you. We would help us understand you as the triune God. God, I pray that this would stimulate, sharpen our desires for community. This would give us an understanding of what true worship is. Oh God, I pray that you would apply all of this by your spirit. Jesus, thank you for dying on on the cross for our sins. Father, to you be all the glory. In your name we pray, amen.